Hey, hey, everybody. We're back. We're back podcasting. Had a bit of a hiatus. Uh, Some of it was just because I got very, very busy at work with some video projects and photography projects. I was out of state for a while. I also went on a sweet vacation with my daughter, Hannah. Went to Paris and also Madrid, Spain. And it was awesome. But man, it's time to get back at the podcasting. Going to go at it hard all summer. So that makes me very excited to... uh, talk about my guest for this episode, which is David Wenzel. He's an author and an amazing dude. And so here's the little intro that I wrote for him. David has lived with an inoperable cancerous brain tumor for the last 10 years. After initially being diagnosed, David's life completely fell apart. And I do mean it completely fell apart. His first wife divorced him shortly after his diagnosis of brain cancer. The cat they'd shared together collapsed mid-stride across the dining room floor and died. The cat just flat fell over and died. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of David's story. So imagine dealing with all of that stuff plus a terminal brain cancer diagnosis. David was only given five years left to live on this planet. And that was if he was lucky. And the amazing part of David's journey is that today he does feel extremely lucky. And he's the happiest he's ever been in his life. And David's incredibly raw, honest, and oftentimes hilarious life story is told in his new book, Thank You Kung Fu. I highly recommend his book. Uh, It's because I believe it will help you or maybe some of you love. It certainly helped me. It's a great read. Pick it up on Amazon. I put a link here. And, uh, but on the podcast, Dave and I dig into a ton of real life shit, you know, it's, it's time to get real in this conversation. Uh, I I think the conversation's inspiring. It's emotional. And I actually cried during our conversation in the podcast. I cried a very first for my podcasting career. I cried in front of a guest. You'll find out why, but it was, uh, it was good. It was a good cry. It was one of those healthy cries. David's one of the most fascinating and talented people I've ever met. So enjoy this latest episode of Full Exposure with Brian Kelly with David Wenzel. He's a writer, author, cancer survivor, and founder of Bent Not Broken. All right, enjoy, you guys. Rocks. So it's not like, not yeah. heavy, heavy, but like just really good, solid. Nice. Well, I'm going to check them out. Yeah, yeah. I've been into this, like, really, um, I'm on this vintage soul R&B kick, and there's just, if you start digging around, there's so many talented artists that you just aren't getting any airplay. There's this woman, um, her name is Lady Ray, W-R-A-Y, and she has a song right now, I Cannot Get Off My Playlist. I probably listen to it 15 times a day, and it's called Guilty, and maybe that's why I feel, you know? It Sentence, could be convicted. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just this. Uh, it sounds so good. And um, but anyway, I gotta I gotta give a big shout out to my boy, um, Zach Boswell. He is putting out albums right now. Like he'll put together his own albums, and they are amazing. Have you worked with him on like scores and things? Or no, no, no. He's just he's an advertising dude here in town. Well, he just yeah. moved out to L.A. But I have to have to say props to Zach. Um, his, uh, his, his entries are just amazing. 
just music you never would have ever found, and he's putting them all together. They're just awesome. So I love listening to those too. Yeah, yeah. Does he put them up on Spotify or he something? Does, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll have to dig out to check them out. Um, and it's they're all you know different names, but uh, you follow him and you'll you'll see you'll see some of those on there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, talking about movie scores, like you, I, you, you know, we've known each other. I don't even know how long we've known each other. Maybe only seven uh, years, six uh, years. Maybe. Yeah. I thought it was longer than that. But really? Yeah. When are you diagnosed? I'm trying to. 2009. So, so that's, that's been ten, ten years. Ten years. Yeah. I think I met you after your diagnosis, okay. or just before. Yeah. Probably, it probably wasn't long there. before because actually the first time we really spent any substantial time together was when. Ben Gott and I came over to your place and we did a little photo shoot. Yeah, yeah. And we had a project going that never really took off, but Ben and I were thinking about doing a kind of a zine, Mm -hmm. but it didn't go anywhere just because of our schedules. But uh, you were going to be a subject for that, and then we did that uh, shoot, and... um, I screwed it up, didn't I? You yeah, just, you totally yeah. like it was not. Well, uh, this that's, isn't it killed. Work. <laughs> it killed the whole magazine. <laughs> ben saw the photos and he's like, "We, what are we doing? It's, we're done with this. We don't know anybody. Get cool. rid of him." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I was impressed because uh, you had originally. So I, I, we're going to jump all over the yeah, place. There's so yeah, much to it. unpack, but yeah, you're. Yeah. Um, you're somebody I love. Like literally, I do. I we don't. I seriously. Uh, Thank you, buddy. I, I love your spirit. I love everything about you. I love your family, and just uh, your approach to life. And um, but you had a, this apartment, and you were in like a really shitty part of your life at that point. No joke. You were, you'd been diagnosed. Your, yeah. Your your marriage had split up. Yeah. You kind of had a bachelor pad. It was the actual name of the apartment was called the Bachelor Apartments. <laughs> Looking back, I think that was a tough, a tough joke God was playing on me at the moment. But oh, yeah, literally, yeah, like, yeah that's. Uh, and so it was. It was a. It was a full one bedroom apartment, but like with my in my 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 ex wife my last marriage, like I didn't want to bring anything over. I wanted to keep everything I had at, yeah. at her house slash our house. So that when we got to bed back together, yeah. you know, I wouldn't have to bring all this stuff over. So I literally had like nothing, you know. Yeah, it was pretty bare bones. It was yeah. a cool place, but the, in an old part of town called Heritage Hill. But the what I distinctly remember is you were on a very holistic uh, path, and you have uh, terminal brain cancer, right? Or how how do you describe yeah. your cancer at this point? Uh, originally, you started out as a grade two oligoastro um, uh, oligoastro diagnosis. I can't remember the name of it now. Yeah. Um, oligoastroglioma, grade two. And since then, uh, they would have to do another biopsy on it to make it official, but they think it's a grade three astrocytoma. Okay. Uh, tumorable, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, inoperable uh, terminal mm-hmm. brain cancer. So they can't, can't get in to get it. Yeah. But, yeah. And so I, what I recall and why I asked that was this. At the time, early on that I recall vividly was that you went on a very holistic path of mm-hmm. treatment. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, and without diving into all the weeds of that, I know there's a million reasons yeah. why you chose that, and it was probably a, a, the path meant for you. Yeah. But yeah. you had this sauna, mm-hmm. a homemade sauna, which like a bunch of four by four foot by four foot. You made basically what looked like a homeless tent yep. Yep. in your bedroom mm-hmm. with a what kind of bulb was that? Just like a, oh, it was just like a super hot bulb. Like you plug it in, turn it on, and it. It raised the temperature. And you used to go in this thing, and we. I'll post this photo that I shot of David 10 years ago 
in his sauna at home and it'll just blow you away in terms of just like what you were going through at the time. And I wouldn't even pretend to understand what your journey has been like since then, but just as a way to, um, yeah. What were you? What, it was just sweating and just getting things out and toxins and things like that. Yeah, I mean, at totally that, homemade. At thing. that point, yeah. My luckily, my uh, my brother-in-law at that time had made that for me, so I was I'm not very handy. Um, but um, at that point in my life, like I felt like just overwhelmed by everything, you know. Yeah. And to sit naked in this this sauna in the middle of my bedroom, it's the only place it would fit. And um, and just sweat and sweat and sweat to the point of nearly passing out, you know. Yeah. And then um, just getting all of that essentially toxins out of my body, and then go run and hop into a freezing cold shower to close up the pores to keep the toxins from coming back in. So I was essentially detoxing by yeah. doing that, but at the same time it was detoxing my brain. Yeah. I mean the thoughts that were going through my head, the 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 images that were going through my head were just so. Um, I'd say horrible, but just so depressing that it, it put my body in a new state to be able to handle those things where uh, it it uh, it couldn't. Well, in some way, it. I would imagine it kept you active in yeah. fighting oh, yeah. oh, in, yeah. in a yeah. sense yeah. because it'd be very hard. I, I don't know what it's like. Have you been able to articulate what... I, there's been a couple moments in my life, it didn't deal with my health directly, but mm-hmm. with my kids where... Some words came out of a doctor's mouth mm-hmm, yeah. that just before they completed that sentence, your life was one way. Yeah. And then when yeah. the sentence finished, yeah. Yeah. your life is I've completely got, upside I've, down and shaken out. I've got two of them. Yeah. The first one was when after I hit my head and went to Mayo Hospital, uh, the... I love it how people always say I got hurt and the, the best doctor in the country was right next to me, you know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I got hurt and the best doctor in the country. No, he was like literally like U.S. News and World Report, the best um, neurologist or something like that who did surgery on me. Um, he said, David, your tumor is like chicken wire growing in the middle of a birthday cake. If we were to take out the tumor we would destroy the birthday cake. And that was like a really unique visual for me yeah. to hear right at the beginning of like, oh, okay, okay, I get it now. Like I can yeah. actually, f- we've all felt birthday cake and we've all felt chicken wire, you know, and to be able to put those in my own little head made a lot of sense yeah. to me. And it's also, just to wrap that up, that's why it's inoperable. It's, you yeah, know, yeah. You can't, you can't. You can't uh, get past the yeah. chicken wire to take yeah. out that little section of birthday cake below it. Sure. And uh, the second one I heard was um, after I came back from Mayo, I met with Michael McLaughlin here um, at Continuum Healing, uh, his business, and we had a heart-to-heart that just, like, destroyed me and really, like, made me measure who I was as, as a man and where I wanted to be in the future. And, um, and I, so I, at that point in time, I chose not to do conventional medicine, which is couldn't do surgery, but chemotherapy and radiation. Mm-hmm. And um, there's actually four. The fourth one was observing. Doctors never tell you that. So I, I, uh, my doctor called me up. Um, I, I went in the day before I was starting to do my radiation, and they fitted me for a mask. I was ready to go. And the day of my first radiation, I said, um, I'm going to observe. 
I'm not going to do radiation. And she kind of like flipped out on me, like not typical doctor speak. Right. She flipped out and was like, you, what are you talking about? Like, you have to do something. If you don't do something, this tumor is going to keep growing. And um, so I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. I just feel I need to go with my, my gut on this. And I'm, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't start this up right now. Yeah. And she goes, David, if you do this, you are choosing your own death. And I met, that just hit me. You're coming from a doctor's mouth. Yeah. Of like, oh, okay. That you know, Talk that was another another emotion, level emotional leverage yeah, on you. Yeah, yeah. But what uh, what sustained you? So, mm-hmm. despite that, yeah. most people, most people, not David Wenzel, as we find yeah. out, yeah. if a doctor is telling you, "Listen, idiot, you're you're really everything we know about medicine and what you have. You need to follow these paths," mm-hmm. and you had an inner sort of compass that was different. And explain that, how, yeah. you, how you found that and your commitment to that. Yeah, well, first off, uh, my, when I was growing up, my dad was in the Air Force, and then he retired from the Air Force and became a PA. So I was in about junior high when he would be, like, handing out pills and be like, take this pill, see, what this, see if you feel this one or this one. So I was, like, already kind of like, ah, I don't necessarily like this. However, I did uh, enter college to major in, in um, uh, medicine, so go figure. Anyway, um, I would say whether it's good or bad, I have a natural tendency to do um, the gutsiest thing you can think of. Mm-hmm. And um, and at this time, it wasn't I wasn't trying to make a gutsy move for the sake of mu- making a gutsy move. I had heard enough research, I'd heard enough um, of statistics to know that if I made this move to not go down the conventional road, um, it would be harder. But there was a a decent chance of of outliving my prognosis, and so it was a really tough decision. Yeah, I prayed tons. You know, is this is this the way I want to go? Is this what I really want to do? And and chose that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to go down this road. And of course, the the conventional doctors just flipped their lid and didn't know mm-hmm. what to do with themselves. And I just said, I gotta, I gotta. And originally, try this. they gave you how how long to live? Five to seven years to live. And you're at ten years. Coming up on 10 so years. So it's all gravy trained from here, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and people always say, like, oh, you're alive another year. I'm like, oh, no, yes, I'm alive another year. This means something to me. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we can talk about I want to go into that sort of, like, um, later. But yeah. I just, if there's a way, I just know your story is so complicated and that I know that there are snippets that I know pretty well from knowing you. But if there's a, a linear way that makes it easier for you to, to get through it. But uh, we can do that. So... Um, but uh, t- let's roll it back a little bit before mm-hmm. that. You're you're a writer. You've worked in the film industry. You uh, were an, an actor. Um, you know you've had so hit the so meander up through. Yeah. I'm interested in your professional yeah. career, but also you know how that led. It led to yeah. you naturally yeah. writing your story, your amazing story in your book. Thank you, Kung Fu. And so. After count, you grew up in Nebraska, and yeah. how did how the heck did you get to yeah. Michigan? Yeah, I mean, I well, I was born in Papillion, just right outside of Omaha, and then my dad, who's in the military, we moved to England for five years, and so I moved back one one month late to get into kindergarten, and had this thick British accent, and nobody would talk to me. They all thought I was a communist. So I probably set the record for like fastest to lose accent. Uh, that, let's unpack that because well, that, isn't that like middle America, like just the stereotype of like just because you have an English accent, yeah, they think I'm you're probably a, I'm probably a, going to attack them. 
<laughs> even if it's a British accent. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I came back and um, and learned right away. Like, if I need people to like me, I need to kind of perform. Um, and so even in kindergarten, um, when nobody would talk to me because I had this accent, I would you know learn how to tell jokes and stuff. And so that was kind of like me growing up was being a just a complete jokester in the age of you know. Um, uh, Ace Ventura and <laughs> Will Ferrell and all these all these people like I I, I like clomped onto this yeah. this idea that I could be funny if I would do these things that these people were doing yeah and um, as a way to be accepted I'm uh, sure. totally yeah, totally yeah yeah and um, and so then um, I was always tiny I loved sports more than anything in the world all I wanted to do was play sports and I was tiny I was a, essentially a year behind everybody else in my my class. And uh, I grew late. I matured very late. So I was literally, I hit 100 pounds when I was a sophomore in high school. And I was just tiny and I couldn't compete. I went to a large high school, a very competitive high school, and just couldn't make any of the teams. And that really bummed me out. But uh, so then I was like, oh, I like acting. Um, I played the trumpet. I was extremely uh, great at playing the trumpet. Never really like caught hold. Like I didn't want to do it forever. Are you you still playing the trumpet? No, I haven't. I haven't. Stopped in. Wait. (laughs) You still have amazing lips. Uh, Oh, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, No, but um, I uh, love, I did love playing the trumpet. And, uh, you know, always at the 50 yard line, every football game playing a solo. And um, I, uh, uh, but I still love sports, but I also got into acting. And so when I was 16 years old, um, uh, Alexander Payne, a director, brought the movie Election. I think I've heard of Alexander Payne. Have you? He have seems you? to yeah. have made his way through most of Hollywood. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Made some of the best films of all time. Totally. Yeah. So he came back and brought a script uh, called... Can uh, wait. Can we get him yeah, on the podcast? Yeah, sure. Can you throw a line yeah, to him? I will, I will. <laughs> David's he, he said he'll be on He's in a few text- minutes. Yeah, great. He'll He's flying to Grand Rapids right now. Um, and so he, uh, I did not. So I'm, I'm in this drama class, and I didn't want to, didn't want to audition, because I know I kind of, I have that sucky feeling that if I try something and really want something, I'm not going to get it. So I say, I don't want to try. I'm, 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 yeah. I'm above this, you know. And um, but my teacher, Mr. Nienhauser, said, "No, you have to try out. It's part of the class. You have to experience this." And I go, "Okay." So probably the reason I got it was because I went in there not wanting it, and sure. I said my lines probably like a normal kid and not yeah. like a typical yeah. uh, teenage actor. <laughs> well, what happened to your eye? You know. And so I went in there. I was like, "What happened to your eye?" Which was my line, and I got the part. And so sure enough. Uh, a month later, I'm you know sitting in a uh, uh, trailer, a makeup trailer with Matthew Broderick on my right and Reese Witherspoon on my left, just blown. Just my mind has just blown up. I have no idea what's going on, and yeah. so uh, I did that scene. With How Matthew fate, well, I know Matthew Broderick was a mm-hmm. major star. What about Reese Witherspoon at that she point? Done she done It was um, the movie she did with Ryan Felipe and. Um, Another girl where, like, they were all like, uh, Cruel Intentions? Cruel Intentions had come out I just admit, before this one. My, um, my um, archive of Reese Witherspoon films is pretty light. I, I think she's... She's an Oscar winner, my friend. I, I'm not... Yeah, I'm just saying that the... the let's make it real nerdy. <laughs> the type of vehicles she's normally in... Yeah, aren't oh, yeah. like, like what I you Fair know, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I, I understand I you're probably friends, but you know, you had to say that yeah. she's an Oscar winner. Yeah. So, so here's the interesting part. Um, when we're 
uh, on set, um, Matthew Broderick and I are sitting next to each other at lunch, you know, the days that we're shooting. And he keeps asking about my life. He's like, what are you up to? What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm actually practicing for uh, the chorus line, a film we're doing. Um, and he goes, oh. And so Matthew Broderick's really into, like, um, uh, Broadway and stuff. Yeah. So he goes, oh, that's great. Like, you're doing, like, the whole thing. I go, no, we had to get it down to about a half hour to actually participate with it. And he goes, what are you going to do about the song? And I go, the, the song? He goes, yeah, tits and ass. And I go, oh, 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 yeah. So we can't compete if we're actually saying those words. So we had to change them. And he goes, you, you changed the words? I said, yeah. Is this a you, public school? Uh, yeah, right? oh, yeah. yeah. What, what did you change them to? I said, this and that. He goes, you changed tits and ass to this and that? Are you kidding me? He like, stands up, and he's, he's putting on his own show, of course. But, yeah. um, and he goes, I want you to come to my trailer tomorrow morning. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah. So um, I do, and I come the next morning, and uh, I walk into his little his little trailer, and he's got you know boxer shorts and a massive white V-neck T-shirt on, just hanging out, you know. And we sit down. He's like, "You want a grapefruit?" And I'm like, "No, no, I'm I'm okay. I don't want to throw anything up on your table here." And um, he sits down. So we keep talking, and um, and uh, he kind of comes to this like conclusion. He kind of goes like, "David, in this life." you're going to have to choose between tits and ass or this and that. And I want you to make the right decision. And that, that line right there was literally like the moment where I turned from a boy into a man. Like it was, it was yeah. should have been my dad. My dad was not there, but Matthew Broderick, he actually <laughs> gave me the line that said, you are correct. I am going to do this. Yeah. And so later that day, I was filming with Reese Witherspoon. Unfortunately, this, this scene was cut out of the movie. But uh, she's making the sign and just, you know, frantic trying to, you know, become the president. And I'm helping her out. And I turned to her in, in, in the script. I said, uh, Tracy, Reese, Tracy, would, would you like to go out with me sometime? And she goes, no, no, no. I'm too busy. I got to take care of this. I got to blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay. And, and that was the scene. And they all clapped. Oh, good job, David. And then afterwards, I go, Reese. I want to take you on a date. And she just laughed, you know, just thought it was so funny. And so I did. I actually took her on a, like a little tiny yeah. coffee across the street date. And we, sure. It probably lasted 20 minutes tops. But anyway, I took... How Reese sweaty were your palms? Oh, my gosh. Oh, just horrible, yeah. horrible. Um, and, uh, but I did. I took an Oscar winner on a date. No, awesome. Yeah. So that was that was the that was my I I did, I'd been in plenty of like plays and stuff before yeah. then, but that was like my first like realization of whoa like this is a whole there, I saw the whole industry in front of me you know a yeah. hundred people on big set film. yeah big film yeah. and um, and actually strangely enough when I was on set that day I was like oh I don't want to be an actor like I sit around all day and then they need ten seconds out of me like I right. do that every day you know and so then I was more interested in like directing and then. I saw all the stuff that Alexander Payne was going through. And what I, and it's kind of through this whole process, what I learned is I do want to be involved in film. Storytelling. In storytelling. But I needed to find a different way to do it. Yeah. Um, and then um, in college, a buddy of mine, Santino Stoner, and I kind of had a big sit down and said, we want to create film, but we want to do it differently. Um, and we kind of came to the conclusion. And then that was about the, about the time when Rob Bell started making Numas. Yeah. And so Rob and Sonny, you know, kind of came together. And I came in a little bit late. But the whole point was to make a really great film, something that looked professional yeah. in 10 minutes that, that proposed a point 
to think right. about, to talk about. And it had never been done before. Well, let's talk about those pneumas. Yeah. Uh, did you write actual no. episodes of those? No. Or how, Rob yeah. Bell, when Rob Bell writes, it, it's done. Like, yeah. he writes it once, and he, he can spit it out word for word, not make one mistake. So Rob is a very talented writer and sure. didn't, didn't need anybody's help. Well, then abstractly, I guess my point is you were involved with some of the uh, ancillary production yep. of those? Yeah, the, like Dot the, and Cross. The, the B-rolls and yeah. stuff. So, so yeah. Dot and Cross literally started out as we were making uh, Numa. And then after that, Marcus Buckingham with um, Gallup's uh, Strength Finder and stuff like that, he came rushing in. Eric Wall, a great team speaker, came rushing, or excuse me, a corporate speaker, came rushing in. He paints on stage. Uh, Josh Ship, a teen speaker, came running in. And they were seeing this as, as we were. Like, well, it revolutionized the, it e- the kind of evangelical platform and how people could uh, digest mm-hmm. content. Yeah. And this is before, like, massive bandwidth on oh, the internet. You know, totally. It was way before I, that. We, I remember printing pneumas in VHS tapes, like yeah. literally... Uh, that was how early we were doing this. But yeah. they were so cinematic, and yeah, there was yeah. a commitment early on to make these unlike anything had ever been seen. But the what struck me was just the authenticity, you know, and this is why Rob Bell is who he is, but the authenticity mm-hmm. uh, of which mm-hmm. they were delivered, and then you put the mechanism of a filmmaking crew around him, and he's got all the Play-Doh he needs exactly. to make a, exactly. a Picasso. Yeah. Or no, not a Picasso. Michelangelo. Uh, there you go. That'll, that'll I, I promised earlier that I would not use too many metaphors. So <laughs> I'm, try to, I'm trying to cut down as I listen to these podcasts, and I'm trying to edit them. The word "amazing" I say "amazing" yes, way yes, too much, yes. and then I use a lot of dumb metaphors. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're right. we're still early on in your in your in your yeah, immaculate is, yeah, immaculate uh, podcast career. <laughs> I am hitting all home runs. Uh, you are. You yeah. are. Uh, uh, you're my next at bat. Oh, thanks. And thanks. then uh, I hope to, you know, round first with you. Oh, perfect. Both perfect. physically and emotionally. Oh, good. That <laughs> makes my heart beat. Don't tell my wife. Yeah. I won't tell mine either. <laughs> but, um, well, that's cool. So that got you into kind of like what so, what you're doing now, which yeah. is a bit of it's, uh, it's writing a, for film. You write corporate. There's all kinds. Of, so tell me what you're it, doing it professionally. Is a stra- it literally is a strange thing. And kind of over the past 10 years, how I've documented it as somebody has a good idea. Let's say Brian has a good idea. And, and Brian hires me because Brian's maybe seen a bit of my work. Brian hires me to say, take my great idea and make it the best idea. So then I have a bunch of creative people around me. And I know how much money you have to spend on your project. So I can find this person and this person and bring them to the project and bring their talents and then help you figure out how to make your good idea a better idea. So it's not like I'm not directing, I'm not filming, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm well, essentially helping you I, strategically create yeah. good, great content. I would think of you as a producer slash creative director yeah, slash yeah. Um, uh, branding consultant yeah, in a totally, sense. Totally. All three of and those? It, yeah, I mean, literally, um, I, I just started working with a, a company, well, a couple years ago, um, this company called Eskimo out of um, Los Angeles, they knew a little bit about what I did, and so they were making a film for Kodak, a short film. And they, oh, this was the yeah I've seen this. They um, they sent me the original script and said, "Hey, this is the direction we're heading. What are you seeing? Like, what do you like? What are you concerned about?" And everything. So I sent back the script and said, "Ooh, I don't like this. This is great. This is uh, you know." Threw that back. We threw that back several different times, and finally um, they sent me. They went and filmed it, and they sent it back to me. 
And they said, here it is. Here's the final one. And one of the main parts in it that wasn't in there, I said, oh my gosh, like you have to have this scene in there or it won't work. Like it just won't work. And um, so they're like, okay. So they went back. And I don't know if they like traveled back out to like, I think like Pennsylvania to get it or if they had it in the can and they just had to pull it out and put it in there. I'm not sure. But um, it was a final moment that like brought this whole piece together. Well, it was. How do people find that? Because it is this Kodak piece that went viral, and uh, it's just so heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you've actually there's so much media, but there's so few yeah, yeah. pieces of media that, that make you feel yeah. something you just like that. Type in um, Kodak short film uh, um, understanding. I think okay. is the name of it. Cool. And it's about this uh, this uh, teenage baseball player who um, his dad, you know, is the, the, the main, like, father in the house and owns the house and blah, blah, blah. And turns out that this teenage baseball player is gay. And um, his uh, little sister uh, finds him and his first baseman kissing in his room. And so she goes off and tells dad. And dad is just so disappointed, you know, living in the middle of America that it's, this would ever happen to his sure. son who's doing so well in baseball. And so they just had this silent um, struggle. You know, for and you'd sit and see him. Dad wasn't watching the games anymore and looking around, and he'd be sitting at dinner, and Dad wouldn't look at him, and the kids just searching for some type of response. And then um, his birthday comes around, and uh, they invite the cousins over and mm-hmm. Grandpa and Grandpa over, and they're all sitting around having a good time. Nobody really knows what's going on. And so Dad had uh, snuck up into, and this is all in the film, snuck up yeah. into his room, gotten a photo of he and his now boyfriend, and uh, had blown it up and put it in a really nice frame. And his last prize, his last gift was him opening up this big um, picture frame with this enlarged photo of him and his yeah. his boyfriend in it. And that was his dad's way of saying, okay, yeah. it's okay. And around. so, yeah. and, um, and then the moment was they had to get up and show it, right? So that was, I said, no, 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 you got to go back and do this. So dad gets up, they move to the center of the room and just give a big hug. Yeah. at the end and that was uh that was one of the things i added to it and yeah. um anyway great film and so they recently came back to me and said hey we want to do a picture uh, excuse me a full full um full length picture of the 2011 tsunami um earthquake tsunami in northern japan um and um and i said yeah uh like what what do you how do you want to go about it like is it a spiritual thing is it a mm-hmm. um a seismographical thing like and they go we don't know all we know is there's a really great story there and if you remember like that was a big thing for americans at that time we were watching uh the elderly people uh who are like in hospice you know putting on orange suits and like going through the actual um, um nuclear Radiation facilities zone, yeah. Um, knowing they would be dead soon, but also knowing that they were the people who brought that into the Japanese society and they wanted to fix the situation, meaning that there still could be people in there that were alive and everything. Sure. So it was just a really massive um, moment. And um, and I said, listen, I'm not going to create a film for the Japanese people. Like, as not my wheelhouse, no thanks. And so we go, oh, interesting. Well, what if we were to create it for the American audience so the American audience could learn more about the Japanese society and I go, yeah, I can do that. So anyway, uh, I went over. I set up a bunch of interviews um, and just had tons of angles to come in on this. Mm-hmm. It could be through counseling. It could be through, like I said, spiritual practices. It could be through seismology. It could be through um, the, the, the previous uh, you know, 
thousands of years of the fault lines that go through there and how they destroy the company, but the, com- the, the country, but the country always gets back up, blah, blah, blah. And I found a couple like really unique um, angles to tell it. And so I went over there and did all these and came back and kind of wrote a really rough script of what mm-hmm. the movie could be. And so they really liked that. And then they're like, well, why, while we're working together, why do we, um, we have a bunch of great uh, directors here. We need, we need some really good director um, uh, I guess I didn't make the list, the short uh, list. Well, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, so they said, would you mind? We know that you write. Would you mind writing these? And so I did that, and that was just a blast, um, getting on the phone with them. And nobody, like, it's kind of the same with real estate agents. Like, when you hire a director, um, you... Um, you want to know about the director. It's not just about what they can put on screen. You want right. to know how, by, by working with them, what yeah. is it actually going to look like, you know? And so when I would write uh, a bio for an editor, like half to three quarters of it is about the actual person. Yeah. And we say, oh, they've done this, this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece, and they were up for this award and this award, but the rest of them is the client learning about the actual person. Yeah. And that's been very, very effective. Um, to uh, their, and it's still coming out now. We're still finishing that up, but we we think it will be very effective. Well, it sounds um, amazing. Yeah. Just the whole platform of that disaster, and then the humanity inside that, yeah, and yeah. the the race to preserve yeah, yeah. and sacrifice. Yeah, incredible. Um, so so that the whole thing is: am I directing it? No. Am I writing it? No. I'm not doing any of that stuff. But I'm a part of the creative process. Yeah, they're at a level, and they can't seem to get above it. I come in and bring in five, yeah. six, seven new ideas, and ah, now this better is We'll that talk about that creatively, because I, I think yeah. we all get stuck as just totally. a creative platform, and it's yeah. like you get so deep into the weeds yeah. that you can't see it anymore. Yeah, it's, it's and, true. And you need an outside perspective to mm-hmm. sort of shake out mm-hmm. what you're so stuck on, yeah. and sometimes it's a simple tweak, yeah. and it reframes the creative totally. thinking, yeah. thinking. Or it could be something like, this is a disaster, we need to re- restructure this entirely. Yeah, yeah. And I think we all go through that as creatives, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had that perspective too, uh, maybe sometimes with your book, mm-hmm. uh, and just getting some other eyes on stuff is such a great... Totally, uh, totally. Because you need people to find your, your blind spots. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and if you want to prove it, uh, go write your own bio right now, and you'll experience <laughs> exactly what Brian is talking about. Where do I start? But what, this is important, but this isn't. I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. That's the best way to figure it out. Well, it's very hard. The, the writing, I think, is one of the hardest uh, practices. And I, I, I'm okay at it. I can do some things. But to stay immersed in it, I'm so... Um, I don't know how you deal with this, but I'm very much... Uh, I, I'm multitasking, but I'm never completing one task at one time. I'll yeah. start an email. It could be paragraph in and then i'm oh, off on twitter yeah. and then i'm doing something else and then i'm responding to somebody on social media and then i'm working on an estimate for somebody mm-hmm. and then i'm like oh gosh i gotta get back yeah. so there's always but uh writing like especially a long-form yeah. book about your life yeah i mean i can't even imagine doing what you just said while writing a long-form book is 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 miserable like you won't you won't finish it yeah so literally when i sat down to write my book um it was phones off. I was in an office. I had earplugs in. Um, I, um, my, there were no other sounds that could get to me. And I would sit there for eight hours and, and people say it's a long time. And I say, I was able to do this because the story was already there. I was, I wasn't coming up with new ideas. I was literally going back in time, finding new ideas and literally getting them out on paper. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, eight hours a day is, is ridiculous, but I was, I was only doing it because I was essentially recalling moments. 
Um, but emo- you're also feeling, I think, when I've written anything that was emotional to me personally or, you know, something really resonated me to your core and you're at the same time this guy with, uh, you know, inoperable brain cancer and you're reliving uh, yeah. and retelling the story of your life, eight hours of that in the at the same time trying to live your real-time life. Yeah. How just, did that happen? Yeah, just ask my wife. I would come home... Uh, many, many times, like in tears, yeah. like I kind of like, I can't believe that happened or I can't believe I'm still here or I can't believe I'm walking to this house with this woman and these tiny girls running around. Like my, it yeah. li- re- literally rearranged my life. Well, let's, let's go back a little bit about, because your life's so interesting that it, that it is an amazing book and his book is called Thank You Kung Fu. But like, so you're at the time that you're dabbling in not dabbling but you're working in a couple of creative agencies you're a writer slash all those things that you you you're a role player in a sense but uh you're married to your first wife and then uh, you know that goes on for how long were you married roughly we were married, i think like six years yeah um and then um uh, 2011-ish, we were divorced. Yeah. After, diagnosed in 2009, divorced in 2011. Yeah. So just as, you know, you're really starting to pick up this battle to really figure out how to uh, survive, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. you're, on one side, you're like, okay, I have this diagnosis. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, it's like, okay, how do I organize my time and energy? It is a battle literally for life or death. It is. And... You're just getting on a path, and you're, but at the same time, your your marriage is dissolving, yeah. and that's. I mean, when you go through that, like the the just without a second thought, the number one thing you need is somebody right there with you. I mean, literally, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't even say friend; I'll say spouse. Like somebody literally goes to sleep next to you, helps you cook breakfast. Like yeah. you need just an immense amount of support. And to the supporters out there, I apologize because you know that, and um, you don't get enough credit for what you do. Uh, as a supporter, so kudos to you guys. Um, but uh, cancer um, survivors need it so badly, and so I think the, uh, with the onset of of um, this whole kind of survivor mentality, not taking the advice of the doctors, kind of going down my own path, a really expensive path mm-hmm. actually, and um, um, it it caused the, the my first marriage to to just disappear and yeah. just kind of just went away and cut to and you and I was, doing a shoot in a uh, into apartment my, into my apartment where I'm living apartments. living by myself hoping to save something and uh just not working out and then at the end of that you know my cat literally falling to the floor dead I'm going this this better not be a sign but like, I don't know nothing. this story oh, so God. is this at this apartment that no was so awesome. when I was gone I was yeah. gone six months and um, right near the end of when I was either going to move back in or do something right. else, my cat literally just fell to the floor dead. And it was like, that was our kid, you know? We had Pegasus. Pegasus was our black cat. and he was, That was the last thing holding us. It said. was. Yeah. It was. And it literally dropped dead to the floor. <laughs> and you're like, well, I think this is a sign. I think so. I, I think have permission so. to move on. And uh, yeah, so like one of the last, the last thing we ever said to each other was when we drove out to her parents' house and buried the cat in the backyard. And I said, you know, um, bye. And she said, bye, and drove off. And that was the last thing we ever said to each other. And you haven't, you haven't had a physical conversation since? No. Literally. We, we went through mediation, but apparently well, in I mediation, mean, you can sit in a separate room and not be in the same room as the person you're mediating against. So didn't 
hear, that see is, anything. Uh, my mind's blown by that, especially since. Uh, okay, so can I vent something? Yeah. And I'm not even the guy going through it, but like, to what extent? I mean, I, I just can't imagine having my spouse be diagnosed with something that serious and that that and then in the midst of trying to figure out because you have to go through that as an individual and you have to go through this as a marriage couple as you as you've articulated so well but that's gone so you have like you're slapped in the face with cancer and your doctor telling you don't be an idiot you're gonna die much faster than you should if you choose this then your marriage like Many people, I, I can't imagine, have been to that type of depth of, of a low. Well, and I mean, how did you pull out? I didn't. I went low. I went. Yeah. I hit rock bottom. I, yeah. I literally gave up on life. I'm not saying it. Yeah, I'm totally saying, like, yeah. I know, like, you weren't bulletproof because you no. were, I can't imagine the moments. It, um, I mean, it, it, it shook me um, as hard as anything has ever Shook me in, in your faith. So. so it's everything. It's your faith, your yeah, marriage, everything. your health, everything. Everything's um, You know, was, I was on a, a, a extremely intense diet. Um, I was doing all sorts of like alternative treatments, and um, and then when I when I actually separated from my wife and I was living in the apartment we were speaking of, like that was the only thing I had to hold on to. So I would like do those like like such a regiment of this and then this and then this mm-hmm. and then this and then this all day long. Just to like keep my sanity yeah. about me, and then when I actually moved out, I gave up. Uh, moved out after the six months there, and it was officially d- divorced. Yeah, I gave up on everything, and then I like packed up a bag and traveled for six months um, with all the sky miles I had built up with my previous company. I just traveled here, traveled there, traveled there, and just avoiding reality by just getting away from. But everything. was that in hindsight a good thing to do? Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was I mean, exactly I, what I, I needed you to think do. you need to get and out. And what I did is I went and visited all my friends who'd moved away. You know, right. all the people who had uh, been in Grand Rapids, been a great part of my life, and moved out. I went to see them, and I slept on their couches, and I slept um, on their in their spare bedrooms, and I mm-hmm. you know went back to my parents' house and slept in my old bedroom. And so it was just a moment of like kind of like reevaluating life and where do I want to go next and what does this mean and. Uh, yeah, just yeah, it was rough. Well, it would be harder to stay in stasis in town. So yeah, I think totally, you know, totally, I mean, that totally. sort of wanderlust, I think, was a, yeah. you know, again, I'm the dude that's not going through that, but in <laughs> in, in abstractly, I think, totally. yeah, I would, yeah. I would totally do the same thing yeah. because what does it matter? Keeping a job uh, or yeah. staying here it doesn't it does not matter at all. Your yeah. cat's gone, so let's <laughs> <Exactly>. go. <laughs> My kid's gone. <laughs> uh, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so from there, then, um, you know, you're battling them by yourself mm-hmm. for a while. And then at some point you decide to get back to Grand Rapids, right? Yeah. I had to come back, uh, ran out of sky miles, uh, came back here, did the mediation as I talked about and, you know, signed the divorce forms and, and, um, and just was still working on projects. Um, but like, I'm, I'm always turned out to be like great friends with my clients. And so all my clients knew and they're like, how's it going? And so I, I had, strangely enough, some of my best colleagues during this moment were actually my, my business clients. Sure. Um, and then I kind of developed a closer group of friends um, who were, you know, single, they'd stay out late. And so we, I just kind of gave up on being a, um, a, a, living a normal life. And I would go out and I would just drink far too much. I'd eat far too much. We'd go dancing every weekend and just 
that was that was me reliving my early twenties in my my early thirties. Well, just gave I, up. I also knew you a bit during this time, and I didn't. I'm, I'm quite a bit older than you, so I wasn't part of that crowd. And that I would, you know, there was no way I, w- I could personally hang out. Although we had some very um, some friends in common for yeah, sure. Yeah. But um, did I, I wouldn't I wouldn't characterize that time in my impression that you were particularly reckless. I mean, you know, yeah. you went out and partied and yeah. had fun. But I don't think it developed into anything serious like you were, yeah. you know, medicating with booze mm-hmm. all the time. No. Or I'm, I would say, too smart to do that. I wish, I wish I could have said I don't care enough to go do those types of things. Yeah. But I've just got a part of me that's like, don't do it, don't do it. And I, yeah. I, can't, I can't break that. So, yeah, I was getting drunk, but I wasn't out using, finding coke and finding, yeah. you know, just... The, the bottom portion of who I know myself to be wouldn't allow myself to go there. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, was, I was out partying, but it, wasn't, it didn't but go I'm to sure that level. I'm sure you can empathize with people that do pull the ripcord and, oh, like, you know. Yeah. Oh, what, yeah, what, yeah. What difference does it make? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, um, and I feel, you know, I've, I, I know now kind of like what, maybe what they're going through or what they're dealing with, and, and to see the level of depth they go down into is, is hard for me because I know... I was at a really bad spot, and I only went to here, but you were already down here. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah, uh, helps me kind of understand them mm-hmm. as well. So you get back to Grand Rapids. You, yeah. you um, are having fun. You're still writing. You're still yeah. collaborating with yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and uh, take us to the next step. You know, which is uh, really set the course. Like yeah. another another moment that yeah. changes is uh, what what happened. Yeah. Uh, next. David? So when I came back um, to Grand Rapids, um, I had a, a coffee shop I have always loved uh, called the Sparrows, and so I would like even when I was working, I if I needed like silencer to get away, I would always go off to the Sparrows and right there um, and uh, do do my work there. And um, so in this middle time, no office, no really home. I was living in my sister's extra bedroom, and so I would go down to the Sparrows, and I would write. And um, It's a great coffee shop. It is a great, great coffee shop. And um, so then um, the woman who owned it, like I had walked in and ordered coffee from her for like six years in a row, but never like got to know her or anything. And one day she said, you're a writer, right? And I go, eh, kind of. And she goes... Um, I, um, um, I've got a new project I'm working on called the Creative Youth Center. And she goes, this is where kids, they get done with school, but then if their parents are working, they can come to this, this nonprofit center to help them learn how to read and write and finish their homework and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought it'd be great if you would come in and help them learn how to read uh, and write. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I started going in there, and I kind of created like a, a creative design squad around this to come up with like a really clever name and like how the center works and everything. And, um, and in doing that, we just started hanging out more. And then I learned that she had been through a divorce and that she had, was going through a tough time. And she, um, in her, in the time where she was, um, married, like they really had problems like, uh, of her getting pregnant, like, and she went to several doctors and they all said, you're barren. Um, I'm sorry. And she really wanted to adopt a kid from Africa because she wanted to be a mother so badly. And, her, Even as a single woman, she uh, wanted to, yep, to yep, uh, adopt. Yeah, yep, yep. and um, and then her first marriage broke up, and she dated another gentleman for several years. Same scenario, couldn't get pregnant, and um, broke up with him. But this whole time, we not the whole time, but in the latter parts of it, we had been hanging out and stuff. And 
she kind of developed an interest in me. And she's like, "Do you, would you like to um, come back to my place or something? And I'm like, no, 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 I, no thanks. I just want to uh, figure out what happened in my last relationship. I do, I do not need to move forward in another relationship right, right now, so no thanks. But whiskey has its own way of dealing with things. <laughs> and so we would go out regularly. Uh, we'd go out to Rockies and dance and just be completely wasted. We'd go out to dinner and drink far too much whiskey. And so one night, one night, she says, can you take me back to my place? And I did. And um, one night with David equals one baby Wenzel. Yeah. And, uh, You're so, very potent. Uh, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. And uh, so after 10 years of her trying, uh, one, one random night with me apparently is enough. And uh, so we had a, a baby. And then uh, she told me, and I, of course, slipped out and didn't know what to do and had a whole other revamp of what is this life all about? Screw you, God. Yeah. Um, but then over the next nine months, like, we just fell in love. And I would, att- I would attribute that to the fact that she was never, like, a, um, a person in my life who I was, like, lusting after, you know? Yeah. She wasn't, like, this certain woman who I dreamed of being with. She was my best friend. Yeah. Just flat out. And we, we could go out and dance. And we could go out and have yeah. drinks. We could go out and do this stuff. And it was awesome, right? And so that's when I realized, like, oh, wait. No, this is actually so much better. Like, I'm yeah. now with my best friend and we're having a kid. As opposed to this glorious, wonderful, beautiful woman yeah. who I uh, dreamed about is now with me. Um, no, now I've got my best friend. and we Well, it was, a real, it was a real relationship. And, and yeah. you didn't. I'm sure before things turned physical, you were sharing all kinds of oh, stuff totally. because there was no, totally. there was nothing at stake. So totally. you could talk about your anything. your journey, yeah. anything, yeah. Friend, anything was on the table. So she already knew yeah. she, a she bunch knew of your garbage. Yeah, she knew everything. Yeah, and so yeah, and of course we had a baby, and then like two months later she's pregnant again, and our second baby comes on one full year and one full hour apart. So our second baby has the same birthday. As our first uh, girl, and then uh, our third one came a couple this months after like, that. You can't, you can't, you can't plant, no. It's you ridiculous. Even, you can't script it. No. So we've got uh, Marion. I named her. Middle name was David. By the I way, your wife's name is Lori. My wife's name is Lori. Yeah, yeah. Lori Slager. And uh, so we had Marion, and uh, she gave all, uh, she had births all at home uh, via a local um, uh, home birth um, professional, Yolanda. And um, so we never knew the names or we never knew the sex of any of the kids. And so uh, the first one I said, either male or female, I want their middle name to be David. Does she have a hunch? Because I, I'm forever angry at my wife. I'm resentful about a couple things and I'll explain in a minute. But did you... <laughs> Did so you I, have an inkling yeah, of what did. the sex was of your firstborn and I, your secondborn was going to be? I did because it was so ridiculous. Like my dad and I have always had kind of issues and stuff. And I thought this was God's opportunity to give me a boy so that I could fix those things with my sure. son and then go back and apologize to my dad. And this was <laughs> obvious to me. And everybody, literally everybody, even her mother who had six sons before she had Lori, six sons, it's a boy, it's a boy, it's a boy. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. you know, for what I know, looks like a boy. And yeah. plus God told me that he's going to mess with me like this. So it's a boy, you know. Yeah. And sure enough, it was a girl. Well, my, my story is my wife was so sick in the first trimester with hyperemesis and she was 
literally throwing up 10 times a day. Mm. She was on a home IV just to not be dehydrated. Yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. serious, serious stuff. And she in throes of just being so frustrated and so sick and so tired. She go, I just know this is a boy. It's gotta be a boy. It's gotta be a boy. And he's angry. A boy. He's an angry boy. And, uh, I said, all right, well, cool. I would love a boy. Yeah. And then we decided not to, you know, at ultrasounds, we told them not to yeah, tell yeah. us the sex and all this stuff. So literally it was with, as, as my first, uh, Daughter was born. Uh, uh, I was expecting a boy, like, a, and it was just it really shocked yeah, me yeah, that it yeah. wasn't a boy because yeah. she told me all along it was a boy. Yeah. So then, fast forward to uh, our second born, she's telling me it has to be a boy. It yeah. just has to be. And uh, that was a girl. Yeah. And then we had our third child, and I said, "You don't, you you don't get to do this to me again." <laughs> We are finding out yeah. as soon as possible yeah. because, um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, I have three girls, yeah. basically, and I was lied to every single every time. Single time. Yes, every single yes. time. Every yeah. time. So you have how many children now? Three children. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first two were born on the same day, four and three, yeah. um, in May, middle of May, and then our last one is uh, uh, Henrietta, and she's born at the end of August, August 30th. Yeah. So three crazy girls. They love each other. They fight. They scream. They scratch. <laughs> they love. It's it's nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. I, be, I barely got out of the house this morning to make it here. So. Well, and I, I picked you up, but I, the, only because I only say that because it brings me back to, you know, it's one thing to abstractly talk about your cancer journey and the stuff, and then you did this outside-the-box treatment, but all along, like, I would have coffee with you occasionally, and you would literally suffer a seizure while we yeah. were speaking. They yeah. weren't like grand mall flop on yeah, the floor yeah, stuff, yeah. but you're like, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm having a moment. I'm actually having a seizure. It should be away. Yeah. And you've had some serious seizures to the point, again, to remind everybody, you have an inoperable brain yeah. tumor, and it caused you know, this imbalance. And yeah. so you, you can't drive a yeah. car anymore. Well, they say if you do have a, a a seizure, you can't drive six months legally. You can't drive. Um, but this last seizure I had um, about this time last year, um, my wife and I were sitting in, in our minivan to hold our three kids. They weren't in the car, luckily. And we were sitting out front of Sparrows. And I was literally about to put the car into drive. And like as I reached for it, my body went into a full seizure the whole bit, you know, I wake up in a hospital after being carted into an ambulance holding. And so I went through my six months, but she's like, no. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's a day of lift and um, Uber. And, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and she's just like, I, I'm i concerned, you know, if you were driving for your life, but I'm also concerned for the other people on the road, you know. Right, right. To have some random person have a seizure and run into them and, and hurt their family, like, sure. no thanks. And so... Um, so all this coming down to say, you know, like it had, yeah, it's been a really rough road, but I did finally, um, come to a place where, you know, I've been fighting alternatively for so long. I said, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to start doing chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that was just a huge shift for you because you had fought it. You didn't want those chemicals. You didn't want the damage. And all I, that, I mean, but. the first the first years and years and years of this cancer, like everybody was like, keep the toxins out of you, keep the you know, do anything you can not to add mm-hmm. cell killing materials to your body. And now I'm like literally swallowing them. Um, and so I was just so against it. Um, and then last year in 2018, um, I just after this event, uh, this horrible seizure, um, I went back up to Mayo, and they said, 
you, um, yeah, you're, you are fading quickly. And uh, if you don't do anything, we're going to stop seeing you. We, you, we right. will not lo- no longer accept you as a patient. So you need to do something. And so I said, okay. So um, I started taking chemotherapy. And it starts shrinking. <laughs> Your tumor starts shrinking. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it's really interesting, though, because people are like, what if you'd have done this at the beginning? Yeah. Back in 2009. Don't you, you hate that logic, though? Mm, yes and kind no. Kind of. Yes and no. I'll get to the point here. Wouldn't it have been great if you'd have listened to them at the beginning and then uh, you wouldn't have had to go through all this stuff? And I go, well, that's what's interesting. I think life has a really unique way of working and that God knew what I was going through. And God said, David, I'm going to give you cancer and it's going to suck. And then um, I'm going to take you through this miserable divorce and it's going to suck. And then you're going to get some random barista pregnant and it's going to suck. But then... Here I am today, sitting at this table, having this conversation with you, and I'm the happiest I have ever been. So what if, what if I would have done chemo on day two of me learning about my cancer? I might still be with my first wife. That was an, an okay relationship, but not a great relationship. It was okay. Right. Um, what if I hit, hadn't hit rock bottom and hadn't escorted Lori back to her apartment you know, and so it's really interesting to see all these bad things happening in my life. The things I hated to tell people that have led me to, again, this day right now going, no, this is all supposed to happen. Right. And it's, it's really hard to explain that to people, especially other people who are going through cancer, to go, I know you've had some just horrible shit happen in your life. Mm-hmm. But, man, don't give up. Don't give up because this is going somewhere. Yeah. And it might be death. It might but Can I ask you a really hard question? Because yeah. you're, you're going through something, uh, but you said something that's a trigger point for me. And I just have to be honest, is that, and maybe you didn't intend it this way, but here's the, here's the thing, is that God gave you things. Mm-hmm. He gave yep. you cancer. He gave yep. you this stuff. Do you believe that God's intentional? Is there intentionality in him saying, I'm going to put chicken wire in your brain, and you know what? You're going to have a lot of fucked up ramifications from here on out. Yeah, that's a really, really big question. And it's really, really hard to answer because I do believe that um, when, I, you, when, you, when you first hear about this, the whole, your, your body just revolts and says, God doesn't know what he's doing. This is a complete mistake. This is horrible. And, um, and when I was actually getting, um, when I was in the hospital the first time, my sister sent me this article by... Um, uh, John Piper. John Piper is an extremely um, uh, evangelical right, as far as right side as you can go. And whenever I say the word uh, John Piper, people roll their eyes. But nevertheless, uh, he wrote a book. He had prostate cancer and wrote a book. This is what he said in the book. This tumor was specifically designed for me by God. You will waste your cancer if you do not believe it is designed for you by God. It will not do to say that God only uses our cancer, but does not design it. What God permits, he permits for a reason. And that reason is his design. If God foresees molecular developments becoming cancer, he can stop it or not. If he does not, he has a purpose. Since he is infinitely wise, it is right to call this purpose a design. If you don't believe your cancer is designed for you by God, you will waste it. 
And so I'll back that up and say, in my specific story, that is 100% true. Mm-hmm. But then I look at other people's stories and I go, where's the, where's, where's the, where's the proof that this, wasn't, this was supposed to happen? You know, and Sometimes you just can't find it. So well, it's, a tough, guess, yeah. it's a tough question it's to a answer. Tough, well, and I wouldn't... Um, uh, people have their different ways of dealing with crisis mm-hmm. in their life, mm-hmm. and especially health crisis. And I don't deal with anything like cancer... But my daughter was born yeah. uh, with a massive, and, and before she even was born and out of the womb, she had suffered a, a massive brain hemorrhage, yeah. cerebral palsy, touch and go for six months. And many of our friends and people that would reach out from former churches I was at or whatever used to say to me all the time, and it just grinds me, yeah, yeah. is that God did this for a reason. He's using. Yeah. He's testing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. The, the, so, and then he's saying, uh, you know, that uh, uh, what was the third platitude that would drive oh, just, me crazy? Yeah. Just like you know, did it for a reason. Yeah, uh, yeah. He's testing you. He's testing your faith, meaning me personally, uh-huh, uh-huh, by inflicting uh-huh. my daughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With something that's yeah. debilitating, and and I thought. That God, no joke. I hate that God. No joke. I can't do. I can't do that mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. No more. I can't do that. So it shifted in that. Uh, but that put me in a fight or flight thing, which I think mm-hmm. was very beneficial. And I think how individual people wrap themselves around how do you get through the next day and the next mm-hmm. day and the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no right or wrong for that. No, not at all. And I, I if somebody is so dead set from the beginning. And has no questions and has no theories, you know, like, I worry about them. Um, Like, it's the people who think, is this the type of God I serve? Is this who God says he is? Those are the people who you can trust because they're actually asking legitimate questions. And I I believe that there is a legitimate God who can answer them, but sometimes he doesn't answer it when you ask the first time, you know. If anybody is so set on this is the only way it can happen, like, run. Run, right. because people don't. Uh, I say people don't understand God. The 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 mm-hmm. the most uh, the, the Pope doesn't understand God. Um, Franklin yeah. Graham doesn't understand God. He is a mysterious God, and he likes to be m- mysterious, and he likes to put yourself put us in mysterious positions because he's not predictable. And um, and I just had to come to grips with the fact that I didn't ask for any of this. But now, now where I'm at, I didn't ask for any of this, but now I'm the happiest I've ever been. Sure. When it's, it's uh-huh. preposterous that I would ever say that, but yeah. it's, everybody has their own stories. Yeah. And so... Um, well, I think the idea was that just abstractly to apply everything to, I guess, my, just to clarify my thinking, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm angry at the type of God that other people believed yeah. in, yeah. and it's different than what I believe in now. Yeah. So I, I also think that you can go through tough times in, uh, as a athletic team, mm-hmm. and you're like down and out and this and that, or you're training for something, and then you, uh, you experience the other side of pushing through and not giving up, and making the most of everything. I'm not mm-hmm. equating uh, spirituality necessarily mm-hmm. with life, but it's about how life tempers you. No one's immune from crap happening in your life. Yeah. Everyone's going to get a ton of it hurled at your way. Everyone, every Everyone, single person. Every single yeah. person. So the idea of that, um, there's a common ground there. And I always found the most... Um, Comfort, oddly enough, and maybe this will bring us to to your organization, Bent Not Broken, but 
what I found the most comfort in were silver linings that weren't my own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I literally, uh, I hope I'm not to cry. I think I can get through it. Come on, buddy. Come on. No. <laughs> no, when we were, uh, my daughter's touch and go were in, the, were in the ICU and NICU at DeVos Children's Hospital. And there was a woman next to me, uh, and I'm, I'm literally there almost 24-7 holding this baby. And uh, there's a woman next to me, and she says uh, she's got a, a bandana on. And we're in the same tiny room. She has twins. And um, one of them's not doing well. One's, one's not going to make it, and one's going to make it. And uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Uh, it's like, it's 3 in the morning, and we're just talking. And she tells me she has cancer. She has a baby. Not going to live. And she has one that's going to make it. And I'm like, okay, I think my daughter's going to make it. But I I don't know. But I never forgot her. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it can always be worse. There's effects that happen to my daughter, you know, ramifications from her cerebral palsy and all this other stuff. can always be worse. I always see families that have it harder. And that keeps me going. It keeps me positive. But... Anyway, I hate to no lose it. This is this but. is life. This is this is true meaning. This is true purpose. This conversation right here, and you have every right to exp- express how you're feeling, to express your emotions. Man, this is life. This is yeah. life. I can go make another film. You can right. go and do another photo shoot. But this, yeah, this is life. So, but getting back to the the, I don't want to harp on my particular perspective about that, about what that means for God. Is it, what it taught me is that everyone's going through something, and if God is intentionally doing some things to this family and this child to test them, to test their faith, to for a higher purpose, and and, and put some children that are innocent in a deficit, then I don't believe in that God, and I to yeah. this day I do yeah. not believe yeah. that that's yeah. the God. And if yeah. other people believe that, that's fine, but yeah. it does not work for me. Yeah. It will never work for me. Yeah. But through that, there's some other spirituality that has sustained me. It's given us our family power and strength mm-hmm. and overcoming things. So, uh, however we get there is how we get there. But the point is that I'm still seeking. We're all seeking as people, whatever it is, higher meaning, friendship, relationships. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, Shaping now new humans, yeah. you know, which you're cranking out at an <laughs> incredibly consistent Hopefully rate. Hopefully done with that. Hopefully <laughs> done with that. But now you've talked. So turned to you've turned to helping others. Yeah. So is this a good point to jump into that, yeah. or what do you? Uh, I don't want to gloss over any major no, things I in mean, the in the book or any other parts of your life. No, I mean we we've covered a lot, but I think I do think. Um, you know, having outlasted my five to seven years of, of prognosis approaching my 10th, I said, well, God obviously wants to keep me around here for something. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll, let me go see if I can find out right. what it is. And, um, and so uh, during kind of the, about the time I had impregnated Lori, my friends gave me a necklace. Unfortunately, it's broken. I would show it to you. But um, it uh, is a small engraving with the, the Latin phrase on it, uh, bent, not broken. And, um, and so this, this, this phrase has been with us forever. 
And, um, and there's something to it, you know, and they right. said, you know, David, we know what you've been through over the past seven years or something. Right. Um, but like, hold on. Um, we know you're screwed up, but you know what? We're all screwed up, but none of us are broken, you know? And so I really took to that. And so I named my nonprofit uh, that's there to uh, provide support for cancer survivors, Bent Not Broken. And I say, every time we get in a room, I say, everybody, everybody look at me. You are bent, but you are not broken. Right. Nobody's broken. Nobody is broken. But yeah. everybody, that guy, that girl, that guy in the taxi, everybody is bent. Yeah. You're just bent in a different way. And uh, not, to, not to say that you, you're going to die any sooner or later or whatever. You're just bent in this specific way. And so yeah. um, I think people have um, um, not changed their mindsets about it, but go, okay, that, that yeah. does make sense. Well, it's another way to reframe your thinking totally. about something and to take any shame that you feel totally, and totally. put it towards some other direction. Yeah. Um, so tell me specifically, you started a nonprofit. Yeah, and is what a, is the focus of your yeah. nonprofit? I know it well, but... Yeah. So this nonprofit is um, focused on um, taking care of the mental and physical sides of cancer survivors. And um, now typically they would say, oh, don't they, can't they go to a counselor once every week or something? And I say, no, because what we want to do is not introduce them to somebody. We want to immerse them in a concept. And so what we do is we take them for uh, two full days. Well, first off, we, we get everybody together and we have a really fun dinner. Um, and uh, the only word you can't say is cancer, so everybody has to get to know each other outside of the <laughs> fact that they all have cancer. <laughs> and then the next day, we jump into all uh, sorts of things surrounding cancer. Of course, we talk about um, conventional treatments and alternative treatments, but we also talk about exercise. We talk about how to de-stress. We talk about um, how to um, uh do uh, daily yoga or meditative states because this is all surrounding the topic of cancer. It's not, mm -hmm. are you doing coffee enemas or are you doing um, uh, surgery? It's not that. It's, it's such a complete, holistic right. version of how you live your life. Well, and these are multi-day retreats that yeah, you're doing, yeah. and, yep, and yep. you're now um, doing them across the country. Yeah. You had the first few here in Michigan. I did. And so what's really interesting is when I would set these things up and I would explain it to, like, doctors, and they're like, we don't get it. Like, we don't understand why you're doing this. Oh, wait a minute. This is my sarcastic voice. Yeah. You and mean like the healthcare system and people that deliver <laughs> it to the masses are yeah. really uh, at the forefront of thinking on things? Well, I, they've got the money, you know? Yeah. And so I go to them and say, listen, we're not saying uh, conventional is bad. We're not saying alternative is bad. We want, we want to heal the souls of these people that are dealing with this. And they go, eh, no thanks. And then, you know, we go to, so uh, the last event I threw was here in Grand Rapids, and I literally went to friends and said, hey, you know me, you know my heart, like, will you give to this? And we barely, barely pulled it off. Yeah. And so I'm counting on God. I'm going to say, I'm going to take this one step further, and I'm going to go into a city where I don't know a lot of people and see if I can make this happen. And, um, and so we've got it all set up. You know, I can, I can find great speakers. I can find great locations. I can, I mean, yeah. I can find great... Um, survivors to show up. And one of the things about the survivors is, is that we make it completely free for them. Um, yeah. When I learned I had cancer, just every penny I had flew out the window. Yeah. And staying overnight at hotels for three months, for three weeks out of a month and just eating and more, you know, paying deductibles and everything. Just Well, let me, uh, let me just make sure that everybody understands. 
you service people who are at any point in their cancer journey. They could yep. have been just diagnosed. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. could have been in the fight for 10 years. Mm-hmm. They could have been in remission for yep. a long time. Yep. Yep. But talk about the benefit, this very specific yeah. benefit yeah. of going away with people mm-hmm. who have all have the C word. Yeah. And uh, that immersion, so that's important. It's different than just going off with some professionals, you know. Very different. Um, As a cancer survivor myself, like I don't tell my family things. It's things that would worry them. It's things I know would make them concerned. Um, I also don't tell my friends things because it goes to such a level that like they can only handle so much of it before they literally have to go to the next meeting. So there's so much I don't tell people. Um, but when I sit down with somebody who has cancer, literally, if it's the first time I sit down with them, this is my opportunity to like share everything. You know, right, I don't right. care where he's from, where he's born, where yeah. what cancer he has. He and he feels he she feels the same way with me. Where we can literally like just vomit up all of the the details of our cancers with each other because we're in the same boat. And so what happens is you get these twenty five people all in one room. Everybody feels that immediately. Yeah. And uh, you can bring a partner. It could be a spouse, best friend, sibling, whatever. Um, But a lot of them choose not to because they've kind of been hiding some portions of their cancer, um, even from their their closest friends. Just anger. Like, I think it's just everything, resentment. Like, you can finally go, okay, these. how are you dealing with this? Because I hate everybody right now. I hate everybody. Or I love everybody or whatever it might be. And everybody at this place is all across the board. Yeah. Um, um, But it's okay for me to say I hate cancer. And to have the person next to me say, I love cancer, I'm not upset, like, because we both have cancer. We both have this in common. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that these people just gather around each other. And I remember one of the, one of the first nights we were all there, um, none of these people, not one of them, knew another person there. And that first night where we weren't supposed to talk about cancer, but of course after dinner everybody started talking about it. Mm-hmm. We were sitting in the backyard around this great bonfire, sharing just crazy stories about everybody, mm-hmm. and we're laughing and we're crying. And I've never seen a group of people who do not know each other at all mesh together so quickly mm-hmm. and so just perfectly to where they are still talking to each other today. And yeah. it's this it's this evidence that when you meet somebody who's going through what you're going through, whether or not you feel the same way about um, uh, hatred towards it or love towards it, like yeah. you have something It's the same in conversation we had about God, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. it's different and it's the, it's it's all true and yeah. real. It's yeah, all, yeah. all encompassing. Yeah. But uh, you, you feel a connection through even just that commonality yep. of like, okay, we yeah. believe in some type of God. Yeah, oh, we're never both going to figure it out. So yeah. let's just chat. Let's just see what <laughs> right. what we can toss out there. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about. So I'm working with you a little bit on Bent Not Broken mm-hmm. with photography, and I want to yeah. talk just a little bit about photography and its impact. But um, I I I'd like to ask because the premise of this podcast is we do a portrait and then we sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. So. I've photographed you a number of times, and you're one of my favorite subjects because uh, no one can really, I don't know, I won't even try to describe it, but you're able to bring a range to the shoots that feels so deep that uh, is amazing. But being a performer and in theater, do you, do you like being photographed? Like you personally, do, is that a yeah. process that you like? No, I do. I mean, I'm a, a very, I'm a three on the Enneagram. Anytime I can be out in front of people, I always enjoy it. So yeah, yeah it's just another, it's another way where I can show if, if, if it's pain, I, I know how to show pain with my body yeah. and can force my body to do that. If I'm happy, I can force my body to show its happiness. Yeah. So it's just another great way of communication for me. So. Mm-hmm. 
But we've decided, or you asked me and invited me, not that I decided, but we decided to collaborate together on a project for Bent Not Broken, mm-hmm. which involves portraiture mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. people that come to your conference, mm-hmm. your retreats. Yeah. Now, what's the best way to say it? It's a conference slash yeah. retreat. It's um, it's a it's a gathering. I was, mm-hmm. you know, gathering. conferences. I like that better. Conferences and events sound not like black tie, you know. Yeah. Uh, but a gathering conference is, sounds like a business. A gathering is a yeah. bunch of elves and trolls who gather before they go and save the world. You know, it's it's yeah. a much more heartfelt meaning. You know. Yeah. No, it's way so better. So we we have. We have a gathering, um, and uh, and people are changed there, and people are coming out as a different person, maybe a largely different person, or maybe at a small level, mm-hmm. but they come out different. And so, what we want to do is can keep this gathering going, even when I don't know enough people to raise enough money to make it happen. I'm banging on doors, trying to make it happen, trying to make it happen, trying to find people in Nashville trying to find people in, in Omaha, Lincoln, Nebraska to bring together so that they can experience this. And it's hard. It's hard to do it by yeah. myself. And so I thought, hey, the more we can get these stories out there, um, the more we can do it in a very easy, simple way where people mm-hmm. can read these stories and go, oh, man, wow, I didn't know that about that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started talking and, and came across this project, which we'll call Bent Not Broken. Yeah. And to be able to take just a really great uh, photo of somebody and then in literally two paragraphs have this person kind of summarize their life. Um, And, you know, mine would be, um, I was living a great life and then I learned I had cancer and it felt like everything was falling apart. And then my wife divorced me and left me at rock bottom. And through a wild, random set of mistakes, I got a local barista pregnant and we've had two more child, children since, and now I'm the happiest person I've ever been. You know, for me to just say that, and you know, and have a great picture of me with mm-hmm. you know uh, a bald, nearly bald head because the the radiation practically knocked out the side of it, and to see that I've been through this and to hear this story, you're not reading chapters at a time. You're reading a couple paragraphs, and you see, hopefully, you can see the hope that I have mm-hmm. in my life. And if we can get 100 of those stories. And 100 of those images, this is like an emergency book. This is, oh, my gosh, our daughter has cancer. Get her the book. And so she's in the hospital, and Mm -hmm. she's got this massive coffee table book, and she turns the page, Mm -hmm. and she goes, oh, she's from the same hometown I am. Right. Oh, oh, man, she had it in her lungs. Oh, yeah. And they can they can handle it, but it's not overwhelming. And yeah. it, and it all is about um, it, it's all it can include negativity because sure. cancer is negativity, yeah. but it can also include a lot of positivity. It can include how people change their lives, right. how people got rid of bad relationships, mm-hmm. how people how people can overcome things now. And um, so we want to create a book that is heavy weight, like the real deal book yeah. that can be turned to any page, and there will be some hope coming out of it. Well, it is hopeful in my experience, and I think we've shot um, two conferences, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're going to shoot two more later this year in August, and I know you're fundraising, and this podcast isn't necessarily a forum to, like, say, give money, but I think if if anyone is listening who has some money that you want to put a rocket ship behind those dollars, it would be to put it at Bent Not Broken because what we've... Photograph some some people in all stages of cancer, 
And recently, some we've had a couple of people that uh, were at your conferences that unfortunately have passed away. Yeah. And that legacy of that portrait, I had someone, a very powerful message sent to me through Facebook. Um, somebody just by pure randomness was on my website. Uh, and there's a section there. and It's kind of hard to find, actually. It's in a, a personal work tab, and then it's a bet not broken, and it has, it's like a subcategory. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different images on my website. And she reached out to me, and she goes, my friend Amy just passed away, and I found these photos on your website mm. of her, and these portraits are amazing. But can you send them to me so I can share them? I'm about to do a post of just remembering her. Wow. And I was like, of course you yeah. can have them, like have yeah. them. But that sort of moment, and yeah. it's not a morbid. These portraits are not morbid. Not the moments that we not shoot not them are not, moment, yeah. are not morbid at all. But it, it's a, when things like that happen, you're reminded me uh, all the time of the, the, the fragility of, of, of time and that, uh, you know, we're not, we're not guaranteed anything yeah, tomorrow, totally, whether totally. you have cancer yeah, or you're exactly. me or anybody else. It does not matter. Um, but it just impacted me, the, pa- the power of portraiture. And I, I try not to be waxed too poetic and believe, like I'm not, you know, I believe that what... Creative people, whether it's photography, videography, films, writing, they can move people and move people to action, yeah. and they can create some enormously beautiful things, of which, on a very small scale, I feel part of in moving and doing some important work within the framework of, of photography and a mm-hmm. visual medium. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I respect Ben I'm Broken so much, is that I'm able to collaborate with you in a way that amplifies these stories for years to come, it's also a document of who we are right now, right yeah. this second. We just yeah. did a photo shoot. That's you uh, yeah. an hour and a half ago, yeah. and we'll be different tomorrow. Yeah. I'll yeah. be different yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I would invite anyone, and I'm, I'm go at this hard. I don't even care. Is, <laughs> is go, yeah, what's the name of your website? BentNotBroken.org. And... There's a um, one of them is um, sponsorships for survivors, and uh, I've created a small video there talking about what they're going to get at this event, all 100% for free. Uh, we've got comedians with cancer, we've got uh, musicians with cancer. Yeah. They're going to be entertained. They're going to laugh. They're going to cry. It's going to be over the top for them, mm-hmm. and and it's all for free. And we are saying it's all for free, uh, hoping that you can see the value in this and hoping yeah. that you can see that this is means something to them and asking you for some support. So as we tape this, it's uh, getting towards the end of March or middle middle to late March. Um, there's two in August coming up, one in Nashville and one in Omaha. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are conferences that you can um, refer people to. I'm speaking to the audience. Mm-hmm. And you can also support the expenses around those uh, efforts because it's expensive to put on. It's, it free, for, it's free for, uh, for cancer patients. And in some ways, I know that you've um, covered travel expenses for people just to get there. It's just, that yeah, important. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, your other endeavors, uh, I, I know we're going to talk again because, um, for one, your book is amazing. You, it's raw and real as this conversation. Um, I find it funny that I cried and the guy with an operable brain tumor did not cry during this podcast. <laughs> so if that tells you anything about mm. David's strength. Yeah. But uh, thank you, Kung Fu. I won't, don't explain the title because uh, you alluded it to, to it earlier, but... Um, 
uh, it's just a, an amazing read, and it's going to be, uh, it's already impacted many people. And I would love for more people to see it. Whether you have cancer or not, it does not matter. It's such a great, funny, heartfelt story mm. of uh, Thank you. Thank you. everything in life. Yeah. Yeah. And then your other business is Robin Hood Inc. with mm-hmm. a K. With a K, I N K, yeah. And that's the, that's the place where you've got a great idea, and I make it a, a better yeah. idea, and, and you win. You know? And that's the commercial. That's how you really support yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. And, then and my, also, my family. Yeah. yeah, your family. And then also, uh, well, the other thing, full circle, uh, you are now part, part owner in that coffee shop uh, with <laughs> I Lori. Am. I am, <laughs> so, yeah. I got a baby and a coffee shop out of it. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, buddy, I love you. You're one of my oh, good friends. Thank and you I, so much. I can't, uh, can't wait to see what's up and I, uh, down the road. And um, I'm going to see you in... Uh, August. Yeah, it was going to be two fun trips. It'll be great. It'll be great. Can't wait to experience that. All right, man. Take care. Likewise. Thanks. All right. So there it was, that conversation with David. Man, a lot of takeaways. What's your takeaway? Maybe shoot me a message. Comment on some stuff on Facebook here on our Full Exposure podcast page. Let me know what your takeaway was with David. One of my biggest takeaways is if any of you could support in any way Bent Not Broken... It is an amazing organization that David leads up. His 110% objective out of this is just to help people with cancer. And uh, I've been lucky to be at the forefront of some of these um, uh, gatherings and uh, creating some portraits. And it's very powerful for people with cancer. I'm lucky that I do not have cancer, but uh, I believe in what David's doing. And I hope that if you can help him at all financially... Um, to tip them uh, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 10 bucks, it doesn't matter. Go to bentnotbroken.org and uh, get some more info. Reach out to David. That'd be awesome. Hey, have a great week, everybody. Um, it's good to be back. It's good to be back podcasting. And uh, we've got some great guests lined up over the summer, and um, we're just going to grow and grow and grow, I hope. So share this. Tell people about it. Uh, push this out. Help me push this out into the world. But uh, have a great week, everybody. Take care.